Wow. Hello and welcome to the Abroad in Japan podcast, probably the best way of learning about life in Japan without actually being in Japan. I'm your host, Chris Broad, and we're joined, as always, by England's top Japan enthusiast, Mr. Pete Donaldson. Pete, how are you doing on this fine day? Oh, I'm good, Chris. I'm moving house pretty soon, and uh, you can probably see in my background uh, there's a lot of lot of suits, a lot of suits piled up in, in the corner. So I feel like I'm uh, I'm in I'm in I'm in Top Man. I'm in the I'm in the um, meeting room in Top Man, just just showing off my of wares. Clothes. Yeah, very colourful not, suits as well. Good. Red, yellow, <laughs> very, yellow yeah. suit. Yeah, the yellow suit doesn't What's... get worn very often. That's why that's why it's on the top. <laughs> what uh, kind of situation warrants? The wearing of a yellow suit. Um, if you find question. a possessed mask uh, <laughs> and you <laughs> and, and you put it on and you run around in a big yellow suit, suit that's 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 the only reason why you should be wearing a banana yellow suit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not the right person to appreciate any clothes of style or colour, given that I exclusively <laughs> wear black or navy shirts, and that is pretty much it. But I can learn a lot from you, Pete, in your extravagant clothing. Yeah, well, I mean, speaking of extravagant clothing, I have to talk about um, Natsuki in your recent Journey Across Japan uh, Redux, part three, Uh, Journey Across Japan part three. Um, Natsuki in the first episode is dressed um, like Beetlejuice, pretty much. I know he's, (laughs) he's wearing like pirate trousers, but he just looks like Beetlejuice for me. That is like, I mean, he got that costume at a Don Quixote for like $10, Mm. about a thousand yen. And it was so tacky. And yeah, he lost the pants on day one. It's pretty shocking. I was really worried that we were going to get a backlash. I was worried we were going to get a backlash because that's like a sacred UNESCO World Heritage Waterfall when his pants are there now, just ingrained in the sand. So he his, so he falls in – well, he doesn't fall in. Let's make that very clear. Um, uh, a third party pushes Natsuki, <laughs> pushes Natsuki into a waterfall. And, uh, yeah, and, and, and his pants – his trousers just fall off and n- never to be seen again. <laughs> Where's his pants well, the, gone? The, it's like a, it's a 100-metre waterfall. So what mm. I didn't realise is there's a considerable current from the waterfall, mm. right? So he went in, and about four seconds in, his pants are blown straight off by the underwater current. <laughs> and uh, I thought he'd done it deliberately right. I thought, oh, he's, he's just being funny, Natsuki. He's, like, yeah. taking them off. But he is adamant that he didn't. And when I, like, went back and looked at the footage, like, 120 frames a second, slowed down. It was, like, enhanced image, 100%, and zoom yeah. in. And, and, like, yeah, the, the water just takes them off. And there's a point the you just can't see them. He goes, and they're gone. The length Chris will go to to look at Natsuki's junk uh, <laughs> underwater. Enhance, computer enhance, remove pants. Unbelievable. You're Zoom in 200%. <laughs> but um, congratulations, man. It was really, I'd seen the trailer, obviously, um, but I rewatched it, the whole thing, or the, the first episode anyway this morning. And uh, just great to hear that theme again. Great to hear that. I cannot believe that Joy's never been mm. to Kyushu before. Uh, he's, the, he's the anime man. Why has he never been to Kyushu? I know, right? He's been to Yakushima, uh, mm. but yeah, he hasn't been to p- the, the proper mainland of, uh, mm. of Kyushu. And uh, yeah, I don't know. But Natsuki, and interestingly, Natsuki's never been either, even though Aso is his kind of spiritual homeland where his mm. his people, the ancestors of Natsuki, are from Kyushu, but he's never set foot on it. Just because it's kind of like, you know, Kyushu, it's pretty far away. To get to it yeah. isn't easy. And like, there's a reason Nagasaki, which is sort of the end destination of the series there's a reason that no, none of us had ever been there because it's just so 
isolated at the end of Japan. Mm. In fact, uh, at the start of the video, there's like a map. I'm like sitting at this desk, pouring over a map, and like Yakushima is barely on the map. It's like <laughs> they've had to like extend the map by a little bit around the island just to fit it on. Right. So <laughs> sort of places we went are barely on the map, but um, yeah. it went well. I, the plane thing turned out great. Um, I think it. I think it might have helped cure my fear of flying a little bit. I did get on a plane mm. just two days ago for the first time in a year and a half, like a proper plane, an airline yeah. plane, not a silly single-engine nightmare box <laughs> plane. And uh, I, I, I felt I felt all right. I didn't feel as bad as I used to. So I think maybe yeah. the Cessna, it might have done something. might have had a positive effect. Oh, well, there effect. you go. It, I, yeah. think, um, I think when you're flying through the sulfur clouds at, of, from the um, actual <laughs> volcano itself, um, you're in a situation where it, it creates terrible turbulence. I mean, that is going to cure you of a lot of stuff, I would say, because it makes you sort of think, well, look, on the big planes, you never experience such visceral uh, and extreme turbulence. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, yeah, I mean, because the plane is so small as well, like it's just getting mm. thrown around. It's really quite, it's a bit like a roller coaster, right? We have these momentary mm. drops. You sort of drop half a meter or so. Um, yeah. But it was pretty daunting, like opening the window, having all the sulfur gas come in. But went well, pretty happy about it. And um, yeah, currently editing the next one. But like, hey. it's been such an intense week. After I finished editing Journey Across Japan episode one, up until like, it was a, it was a photo finish to try and get up on Sunday. The next day on monday i uploaded it at 8 a.m and i'll be editing it until 6 a.m i didn't sleep at all that night uh, i finished the video uploaded at 8 and then at 7 p.m i went to tokyo to get the sleeper train for another video that i'm working on with natsuki going to the totori sand dunes because uh. we've talked about it before right that japan is like a mini desert the totori sand dunes mm. and uh we've always wanted to go totori is one of the last remaining prefectures ever been to, like I've never been to, and um, mm. one of the only ways to get there is a sleeper train, or you can fly, right. which in hindsight would have been a much quicker, easier, easier experience. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was kind of cool. It was like Murder on the Orient Express, but with Natsuki. And Natsuki got the first-class carriage, and I had like a crappy room. And he spent the entire time bragging about his his, his swanky kind of like first-class room. Like I went in there at one point, point. he's just sitting there with a beer in one hand and a pile of ham in the other. And it's very much. It's like, what is what is going on? But and uh, then his trousers fell off, and then his, his trousers were gone. Um, but every film you should do with and that's at some point his trousers must fall off, and then his trousers fell off. Well, he did. Well, well, we got to the sand dune; it did fall over, and his trousers nearly did come off. Um, well, and to go. be fair, the sand dunes are pretty cool. Like uh, mm. they're pretty damn awesome. Like I uploaded a little Star Wars clip to Twitter and Facebook mm. yesterday. Uh, reenacting a bit of the trailer with Natsuki. Mm. But like they do look like it does actually look like a desert. If you frame it right, you can yeah. definitely trick people into thinking you're in a desert. And I, a lot of people are like, where are you? In Egypt or Dubai Egypt, or something? Yeah. No, <laughs> Totori. Yeah. But uh, crazy old week, crazy old week. What about yourself though? I know I've just embarked on this huge project with Journey Across Japan in the same way you've just uploaded a new podcast <laughs> file. Your big project. <laughs> <laughs> uploaded uploaded 192 kilobytes per second MP3 file. Oh yeah, I mean it's pretty much the same thing, isn't it? Getting on a sleeper train and uh, going to uh, going to the sand dunes. Uh, no, we did. We released um, the, uh, the 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 podcast Bernie, who killed the Prince of Soho um, this week or last week, and a couple of episodes have gone out. And uh, wow, like the 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 media has kind of been all over it. You know, it's been in the Guardian, been in the um, Daily Mail, the Sun, the independent um and uh it's an interesting story about a a, a guy who 
beloved by the uh, Barflies in the Groucho Members Club in uh, Soho. Uh, died under suspicious circumstances a couple of years ago. I knew him relatively well, so I'm pretty regularly. And um, yeah, I just thought it, it, his story is a very interesting one. It deserves to be heard by people. And um, yeah, like you got guests like Stephen Fry, Alison Stedman, Richard Bacon on there just talking about um, his life and, and how by the end he was being pursued by Albanian gangsters in Soho and uh, was, oh, yeah. was on the run from them and, uh, and it's an interesting story so um, worth a listen it, look it, don't take my word for it take the newspaper's word for it you Bernie, have me at Stephen Fry <laughs> yeah exactly Bernie who killed the Prince of Soho is its name you probably hear a quick advert for it or a not so quick advert for it in the break but uh, yeah Bernie who killed the Prince of Soho have a listen or don't just just do do, I mean, do something with your life god damn it <laughs> that's pretty cool like a narrative podcast right well we well, we talk about current affairs every week but like a narrative podcast seems like a lot of fun like actually telling well, a like, story I mean, right yeah i mean you've um you sort of switched a couple of years ago to start doing documentary stuff and mm, um mm. I, I i didn't realize how satisfying it was going to be i mean i've edited it like about what feels like about six months ago um but mm. it's only just uh be, been been ready for um release but it's yes yeah, been a really strong release and um yeah people seem Fantastic. to be vibing on it so well, done, well done cheers everywhere mate. from the guardian to the sun stephen fry that is that is very you didn't tell me that that's that's really impressive well done <laughs> the way when you first told me about this project a few months ago it sounded like a little passion project you were doing in your kitchen and you just sort of record. It Road. sounds incredible, really. So definitely going to check it out. Definitely going to check it out. Bernie, who killed the Princess Soho. We've got a story this he, week from, what are you going to say? No, go on. I was going to, I was going to say that he's, he's very much the Ishikawa Goemon of, uh, of, of, of Soho. <laughs> uh, very, very selfless, stealing from the rich to give to the poor. Because Ishikawa Goemon, Goemon was, was not someone I was familiar with, but it's in the first episode of Journey Across Japan. And, um, he sounded like he had an interesting life, eh? <laughs> Japanese Robin Hood, yeah, I could, yeah. I, I didn't know that either. I, I've never even heard this bath, the Goimon Buro mm. bath, right? It's like a mm. hot pot uh, that you mm. might have seen, guys, in um, Journey Across Japan at the end of the first episode. Natsuki gets in it, and it's like a little bath made out of concrete, designed for one mm. person. And there's a fire mm. underneath that heats the water, so it is like a hot pot. And uh, yeah. it's Robin Hood's character in Kyoto many years ago tried to assassinate uh, one of the high a man of high standing and mm. uh, he got caught and boiled alive with his son oh, happy dear. days not not ideal is it <laughs> bit of fun <laughs> for, the, ideal. for the opening of the podcast yeah <laughs> exactly story this week <laughs> from uh yarting from boston this is hello chris beat this is yarting coming from boston usa i wanted to share with you my experience of getting in contact with my lost relatives in japan and then being forced by them to make a public speech i'm from taiwan originally and i have two aunties who ended up marrying japanese guys and moving to japan i lost contact with them though for a while when i moved to america and i love traveling to japan and recently i decided to get in contact with them again by visiting them in nagoya on my own they picked me up from the airport and it was crazy i hadn't seen them for 15 years and that night i finally got to meet my six japanese taiwanese cousins who are now in their 20s, just like me. They prepared a fine sukiyaki dinner for this reunion, and everything was so nice and pleasant until when they were about to start the dinner. My auntie suddenly 
announced very formally in Japanese. We're so happy to have Ya Ting visiting us. Now let us hear a speech from Ya Ting. There are a ton, uh, there are a total of 10 people, including my Japanese uncles, around the dinner table, and now they were all staring at me. I felt very confused, awkward, embarrassed, intimidated, and unsure of what to say. A speech? How long or how official should it be? Is this something they do whenever they have a family reunion? Or do they want to hear the long story of why we lost contact for more than a decade? Usually in America, we just toast and cheer and move on. No one puts you in the spot like this. Uh, it's also rude to make your guests feel uncomfortable by forcing them to make a speech so suddenly in Taiwanese culture. Uh, I really wish they'd warned me. So I was lost for words trying to come up with something great. Uh, the moment felt like forever. Looking around me, I nervously said, it's great to see everyone. Uh, thank you. Very happy to be here. Bye. <laughs> I thought that was the most uncomfortable. I thought, I thought that was the most comfortable statement to make given the circumstances, but the table was quiet and my aunt who was translating for me also appeared a little unsatisfied with my answer. She made a quick speech with a smile as if to smooth over the situation. And I felt really embarrassed. Honestly, I don't know what they thought of me. Did I appear ungrateful? Because of my underwhelming speech, am I curious? Uh, I'm curious to see if you have been called upon to make sudden speeches like this to a rather unfamiliar crowd against your will. Uh, how important is it to make speeches like this in Japan? Thank you for your comments, guys. Uh, keep up the good work, Yarting. What do you think, Kate? <laughs> I hate I, I hate doing speeches like that. Like a moment's yeah, later, and, and and also like, I mean, if you're not expecting to do it, and like she, maybe she should have been a little clearer as to what she was expecting from from Yateng. To be honest, I, I'm sorry, um, Yateng, that you had to go through that horrific, horrific situation. Um, I probably would have panicked and uh, wrapped uh, Kanye West's gold digger uh, to everyone. <laughs> that's that's what I would have done, <laughs> just panic, because I know how I performed at my sister's wedding when I was asked to read a poem out. Um, you know, I've done public speaking before. I've I've, I've performed publicly you to people, for a living, but, but yeah, I did it for a living. Do it for a living, and uh, yeah, I, j- I just fell fell to pieces, and I couldn't read out the poem. I was so nervous. It's very very weird, just been put in, put you know, put on the back foot like that. Uh, even though I knew the poem was coming, I just couldn't read it properly. I just couldn't couldn't perform. Very strange. But I can't imagine having to sort of sum up the last fifteen years of your life. In you know, I mean, what would you <laughs> say? Like, oh, yeah. We should have all got Facebook. We should have got <laughs> WhatsApp, innit? I mean, I in Japan they have this thing at the end of a, the beginning or the end of a meeting, like a work party mm. or whatever. They kind of have a thing called a council where they'll nominate someone, and it's usually the foreign person from my bloody experience, to give their <laughs> council their sort of impressions or thoughts on the situation. And I right. have had to do it numerous times, and it's really made me like, uncomfortable. Like I remember my good friend Yuki, I met up with him in Sendai once, and he was at a work party with like 30 of the most powerful men and women in Sendai. And I walked in mm. at the end of the party, and he was like, this is Chris, he's a YouTuber. And everyone was like, eh, and clapped. And I was like, eh. And then Yuki was like, go on then, give him some counsel, give him some thoughts. And I was like, eh, this, this food looks good. Um, <laughs> I like Japan. Japan's good. Uh, nice. I, I like, like I it. I like Jap- Japanese culture. Bye. And it was just like the amount of times I've had to do that on the spot. And it's a bloody nightmare. To be fair, it's the whole having to do it in Japanese for me. If it was in English, I probably could bash out something a moment's notice. But like, oh man, doing something on the spot in Japanese, I always don't, it's always very daunting. Whereas, just, uh, t- just 
four words. She take my money. She take my money. <laughs> when I'm in need, just start singing. Just start get down to it, mate. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Well, speaking of awkward situations, there's been a new story this week in Japan uh, that's actually quite close to home. Um, just north in Morioka in uh, Iwate Prefecture. A nine-year-old boy hijacked a car and crashed it into some traffic. Um, apparently, like, uh, someone was driving down the road, <laughs> down a main road, and they looked up, mm. and a car went past with, like, a child just behind the wheel, like a nine-year-old boy. Mm. Yeah. And they sort of, like, rubbed their eyes. The sort of standard scenario. We're like, what, hang on, what, what is that? Looked again, and it was just genuinely a nine-year-old boy. And apparently a, a kid had stolen his mum's keys, his car keys, hopped in mm. the car, and drove drove off down the road at forty miles forty kilometers per hour um, right. during heavy traffic. Yeah, nice. Um, it's ridiculous, and uh, he unfortunately did crash into someone. But uh, neither the boy nor the unfortunate person that collided with the boy have suffered life threatening injuries. They're okay, Good. but That's it's fine. more just the shock of the boy <laughs> hijacking the car. Like, there's not much more to the story than that. Why he? No. Why did he hijack the car, Pete? What do you? I, well, look, whenever, whenever there's some kind of horrific uh, thing that happens in America, the, 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 the right always blame violent video games. I am blaming the Japanese <laughs> TV show Speed Racer for this. It's a little boy ri- rides around, rides around in a car really, really fast. And that kid has grown up on a diet of Speed Racer, uh, a diet of Mario Kart, and he just wants a piece of the action. It's completely understandable for me. Ban this sick filth. <laughs> I remember when I was in the UK a few years ago, some... I'd parked my car up and uh, I'd rented a car and it was a nice car. Mm. I think I think in Canterbury or somewhere. And like some kid came up to me. He must have been about 12, 14. And he kept, he kind of complimented the car. I was renting like a BMW because it's mm. the only time I can drive a fun car. And uh, he was like, oh, that's a nice car. I was like, yeah, it's good. I'm, I'm renting it. It's not mine. I'm not that good. And then he was like, I was like, what, what, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm on the run. I was like, what? On the run from what? And he's like, it's like Maze Runner. And I was like, I don't know what that is. I, I later learned Maze Runner involves some kids in a maze. I don't really know the story. But this right. kid had like, watched this film Maze Runner and decided to just reenact the plot in his real life. And uh, it was really awkward. Yeah. We had to sort of like, have you got a phone? Is it time to call your mum now? And like, <laughs> it was really surreal. So <laughs> when I'm thinking back to that experience and now thinking to the nine-year-old boy, he crashed a car and stole mm. a car. It's the same. It's definitely the same. It is the same. It is the Kids same. Playing uh, big end, isn't it? <laughs> it is terrible. Yeah. Terrible. Oh well, never mind. Um, yeah, I, 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 I <laughs> feel like when I'm doing my like little driving lessons with my partner, I just do sort of think that I feel like a boy who's not allowed to be, who shouldn't be allowed to do this sort of thing. Quite frankly, does it make you angry knowing that? Legally, you can't drive alone in a car because you haven't passed a driver's license. But mm. this nine-year-old boy had the thrills of driving a car alone. Yeah, forty kilometres down the road, no one singing in the along. He's probably using his phone at the same time, probably on his <laughs> iPad playing Candy Crush or whatever kids play, Roblox. <laughs> exactly. But I, I, what a story! If once we get an update there, I'll uh, I'll definitely look into that. We had a story mm. as well last week, I think. Um, I think it was a, w- a week or two ago, a guy hmm. went down to the kitchen, uh, like you do, because I think he heard something in the kitchen. This guy knows sucker. Hmm. Uh, he was asleep. It was about 3 or 4 a.m. He heard some sort of rustling noise in the kitchen. He went downstairs, and there was a guy at his desk eating a lasagna, you know, like you hmm. do. Uh, it's just a stranger. He never met him. Guy eating a lasagna. 
And then a few moments later, he sort of fell over and died. And it was the most, one of the weird stories um, we've had. But it reminds me of another story a few years ago um, where uh, this this boggles belief. A homeless woman who snuck into a man's house and lived undetected in his closet for a year was arrested in Japan after he became suspicious when food mysteriously began disappearing. Police found the 58-year-old woman hiding in the top compartment of the man's closet and arrested uh, her for trespassing. Uh, This woman had been like hiding in this man's house for months. Sorry, a year, an entire year. She'd been hiding in the house, in the closet. Mm. And when he went to sleep, she'd sort of sneak down out of the cupboard and eat various foods. I'm impressed it took him a year to work that out. My fridge, if my if things just disappeared out of my bloody fridge, I'd know about it pretty damn fast. But uh, <laughs> um, but basically, the guy he put installed he installed some security cameras that transmitted images to his mobile phone after he got puzzled about the food disappearing. And one of the cap the cameras yeah. captured someone moving inside his home after he had left. Um, and so he called the police, thinking, oh, as a burglar. When they arrived, they found the door locked and the windows closed. They searched the house, checking everywhere someone could possibly hide. And when we slid open the shelf closet, there she was, nervously curled up on her side. Uh, apparently, the woman had no place to live and had uh, snuck into the man's house about a year ago when he left it unlocked. The closet is part of a Japanese-style room, one of several rooms in his one-story house where the man lived alone, or so he thought lived alone. Um, but the police investigated how she managed to get, get in and out of the house unnoticed, um, and if she'd taken anything else. She'd moved a mattress into the small closet space and apparently even took showers, uh, calling the woman neat and clean, the police said. What do you make of that, Pete? Another another story there. I mean, people do leave their houses unlocked here, so I'm not hmm. really surprised by that. And also, I like, why. I think with, 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 with her, she probably would have got away with it if, uh, presumably this man's, um, routine would have been broken up mm. by, uh, the pandemic. So <laughs> and the, God, yeah. the houses, houses in Japan aren't big and he must have had one hell of a closet, uh, or he must just not, <laughs> you know, his, his clothing must be like just completely uninteresting to him. He must only have a rotation of like a few shirts and, and trousers and never deviate from that because it's crazy that this, uh, this woman may, managed to uh, manage to hide out in someone's cupboard for that amount of time. I mean, the hiding bit is uh, is pretty impressive. I'm not surprised mm. that she managed to slip in and out of the house, though. Like, it's quite common here for people to leave their doors unlocked, particularly in the countryside. Mm. Um, right. Like, my foreign friends that uh, that kind of worked as teachers in the town where I used to live in um, Yamagata, mm. they all left their mm. doors unlocked. And I was like, is this, is this safe? Is this normal? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> don't worry about it. I was like, yeah. I'm not going to leave my bloody door unlocked. But So I'm not surprised about that bit. But to go unnoticed in someone's house, to shower in the house, to eat the food, it is awfully like the film Parasite in hindsight, isn't it? Is that where they got the idea from, Greg? <laughs> Maybe a little it. bit. <laughs> Stole the plan, uh, though. Crikey. Yeah. Um, don't know what to make of it. But um, if you've got a story of someone sleeping in your closet... Let us know at rogerfanpodcast at gmail.com. We'll be back with the fax machine right after this break. Bernie Katz was fun. He was kind. When he walked in, the room just lit up. And there was something magical about this young man that just had a glint in his eye that didn't give a shit about anything but loved everything. My first impressions were of a huge, vibrant and 
outgoing personality, all hugs, grins, extravagant language and wild attire. Always in a leopard skin jacket, whirling around like a windmill. Oh, she's a character. I don't know if those people exist anymore. They're sort of dying out. Everything's changed. It is a bank holiday weekend in London, the late summer of 2017. The streets around Kentish Town, just north of the city and halfway towards Hampstead Heath, are unusually quiet. That evening, in a small, converted flat, just a 15-minute bus ride from King's Cross Station, Bernie Katz, pocket-sized and long-standing front-of-house manager of London's Groucho Club, is found dead by his landlord. I said to him, what happened? You know, and he said, we are not talking about it. And yes, there have been the rumours. We've all heard. I mean, what did I hear specifically? That he was murdered. The relationship with his father was so toxic. He hated the idea that his son was gay. His right. dad was a proper gangster. Bernie came down, there was a car far from. Guy blows his dad's head off. They were all part of the same fetid, seething, self-referential nest of vipers that I think the Groucho had become. Was Bernie depressive? I think yes. When alone, a condition he rarely sought, he had demons that flew about his head. I get a call from Bernie and he is in £20,000 worth of debt with the Albanian gangsters in Soho. We all collected and paid the debt. The way that the Albanians operate is very, very peculiar because they did not operate like any other mafia in Europe. I've never been able to establish exactly what happened and why, but whatever it was, it was so wrong. Bernie, who killed the Prince of Soho? Listen now. A Stack Production, available wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. What have we got this week in the fax machine, Mr. Donaldson? We've got a message from George from Florida. Actually, it might be Jorge. Let's go with Jorge. Um, hello, Chris and Pete. I hope you're doing well. This is Jorge, or possibly George, from uh, Florida. Long-time listener and viewer, but first-time writer. Thank you to the both of you for all the amazing work you do and how much better you make our lives with our energy, with your energy. Yes, even you, Chris, an all-round astounding sense of humour. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Mr. Pete Coolish Donaldson, uh, I first saw you in Chris's Sapporo um, Snow Festival video and immediately thought, uh, what an intimidating-looking gent. <laughs> <laughs> definitely. He looks like he, yeah, definitely. I'm a real hard ass, mate. Um, he looks like he might be a member of the Yakuza. Little did I know you were turned out to be one of my favorite Abroad Japan guests and one of the most encouraging, friendly, and lovable internet personalities I follow. Come on, Jorge, possibly George. I'll have a bit of that. <laughs> As for you, Chris, I know you've heard this a million times before, but you're such an inspiration. I also have dreams about becoming a filmmaker like you someday, and specifically a screenwriter. As it stands, the Abroad Japan channel and podcast have gotten me through some of the most difficult years in my relatively young adult life. Oh, Jorge, come Come on now. That's a, what a lovely message from Jorge. Um, as for questions, I have one for Chris. If you uh, had the chance to produce your first feature-length f- feature film as an established director in Hollywood in the near future, what genre do you think you'd tackle first? What kind of movies do you see yourself making? And more importantly, would Natsuki, Ryotaro, Pete and the gang have cameos in them? All the best in your future projects and efforts. And ter- sorry for the terribly long message, you absolute legend. I mean, what a message. What a complimentary message. I see, that, I see why that one got through the, uh, got through the sieve of content. <laughs> the sieve of content. Mm. I, uh, I mean, that's a that's a big question. I think Natsuki would definitely be in it. I'm sure we could stick Pete yeah. in somewhere. He can actually act. He can act, can't you, Pete? Yeah, mate. Yeah, I'll have a crack, mate. Yeah. I'll have a go. I'll stink up the screen. No problems. <laughs> have you in there as the villain? Uh, but 
I don't know, really. I, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot. Like, I, uh, I watched a really good film yesterday, actually, called The Girl with All the Gifts. I highly recommend it. It's a zombie film. Okay. Um, I, I don't really like zombie films because they're usually not that good, apart from films like uh, 28 Days Later or Shaun of the Dead. Um, but, yeah, The Girl with All the Gifts, it's a, it's a British zombie film, similar to 28 Days Later and Shaun of the Dead. But it's just mm. got a lot of thought put into it. And it's a, I think it's, it's quite a small budget, $4 million dollars but they had like glenn close in it and they've got some great cast but like it's just really well thought out film but um i don't know really i, I honestly i don't know where i'd begin probably sci-fi neo-noir cyberpunk idea but like that's ah, too early to, to to sort of talk about that really it mm. has to start with an idea or a premise doesn't it a log line You've got to think of a sort of a key premise any ideas pete what would you do your film about what if your hands were sausages? <laughs> there you go. That's what you got. That's what I got. That and is the sausages. trick, though, isn't it? You got to think. What if? Yeah. What if I I could like open like a my cupboard and there'll be money in there every day or something like a weird what if scenario? Um, not so well, sure how the whole sausage hands would turn out. No. Quite good, actually. Could be good. Well, what, what, I mean, I guess like Edward Scissorhands is very much uh, a story about a man who cut hair, um, but he had because he had scissors for hands. What about Natsuki who cuts hair for a living, but one day wakes up and he's got sausages for hands and he can't use the use the use the um, he can't cut hair. Edward Sausage Hands, I like this. Yeah, and he I'm slams right. him on the barbecue and eats his fingers. I think it'd be a pretty short-lived film, to be honest. <laughs> God. Uh, we've got one from Tony. He says, Hi, Chris Pete. Love your podcast. My plans for Japan were cancelled this year, so I've been making multiple travel plans to explore the many prefectures, cities, and such at different times during the year. Maybe in 2022, I'll take six weeks off just to travel Japan. Nice one. In your opinion, is there a certain season or time that tourists should visit certain tourist attractions? Are there places uh, that you should visit a specific season? Versus the other parts of the year. Cheers, guys. Tony. Also, you should do more drone videos of Japan's countryside. They're very pleasing to stare at and lose yourself. Very good, Tony. We'll, we'll do that. Um, there's quite a lot of drone footage of Jenny Across Japan 3. So there is. Check that out. Yeah. Um, I don't know, really. I'd say Japan in August is a write-off. Japan in July, yeah. kind of a write-off as well. September Rain. to November is pretty nice across the board. Mm. Sapporo, very cold in winter, but also if you like snow sports, it's cracking. In summer, though, it's perfect. It's like the only place in Japan in August that's bearable and you won't melt. Um, any thoughts, Pete? Pete knows all too well not to come in the rainy season. He did that yeah, once. I, I, I absolutely messed that up, to be <laughs> honest. Didn't didn't really think about it. Um, rainy season is June, best, right? Best month. Yeah, o- October is the very best month to do it in. There's Halloween, everyone's having a lovely time. It's not too cold, not too warm. Oh, it's blooming great. I love it. Yeah, and also don't forget in September there's typhoons to deal with as well. A good friend came over mm. a few years ago and uh, it just got intense. That's September to October. In fact, the second gen across Japan last year escaped to Fuji. The weather was consistently mm. shit because we were bombarded by like three typhoons and it's just lots of wind and rain, basically. It's not overly fun, but it's cool if you want to experience a typhoon. It's just yeah. wind and rain. 
especially the UK. <laughs> That's all it is. That's it's all it is. Uh, we've got a message from uh, Sophie. Hello, Sophie. Chris, Pete, it's me again. The one from the north of England, God's own country, Yorkshire. As a long-time listener of your podcast and since travelling there uh, frequently since I live next door in Korea, I couldn't help but notice how easy it is to offend my fellow Japanese friends. It seems as if uh, Japanese people uh, will openly critique their own government and people, but they don't likely agree with the opinions from outside their culture. Interested to hear if you felt this uh, yourself too. You too, Pete, if you've experienced Experienced it, keen to hear about your awkward situations and how you dealt with them. As for me, I uh, recently broke up with a Japanese gentleman. Lovely guy. No need to cry. Um, I don't know if she talking to him or us. Uh, this question came to mind and partly became the reason why we broke up, but I always felt an overwhelming pressure to pay attention to every uh, syllable that escaped my mouth in case it offended him. I have limited experience with Japanese guys, though I've uh, heard this is quite representative of the general population. Anyway, if you could shed some light on my discovery, it uh, it'd be most grateful. If Chris or Pete uh, ever head up north now, Manchester, the, the pint is on me. Sophie, pints up north are cheaper. You, you should be more than one pint, I think. The pint is <laughs> <Yeah>. on me. <laughs> uh, but have you ever sort of experienced um, breaking up with a, a, a Japanese gentleman, Chris? <laughs> takes me back to three years ago. Takes you back. To Ke- takes you back. Takeshi Sato, the love of my life. <laughs> I, uh, I, no, no I, this sounds odd. I've, I've never really heard of a Japanese person get insulted by someone critiquing their government or people. I mean, people here, nobody likes the government. It's like, I've been mm. here, what, nine years, and nobody's ever said, oh, I like the government. Like, it's 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 well known that it's, everyone complains about it. I mm. think, you know, I did that video a few weeks ago, 12 Reasons Not to Move to Japan, and there were a few Japanese folks that said, that, that didn't clearly didn't understand the video or what I was saying, and they just sort of mm. told me to fuck off and that I was rubbish and how England's shit and I should go there and stuff. But, like, you know, I... I generally know. I think it just sounds like this guy sounds quite dodgy, to be honest, if he's that weird, if he got that offended all the time. Like, it's always a red flag when you have to be careful over every syllable you're saying around your partner. That's usually a really Mm. good reason to get out of a relationship Mm. like that. So, you did the right thing, Sophie. Um, But, yeah, no, I I don't... Other than that, no other thoughts, really. I, um, I mean, Natsuki... Dating Natsuki, he would never get offended if he critiqued Japan. Uh, Ryotaro, yeah. yeah, I can't think of anyone really. It's just a sounds like an odd chap, to be honest, doesn't it, Pete? <laughs> what do you think? Well, look, I mean, everyone's everyone's different, and uh, that's probably. I think sometimes when people are careful about how they they, they talk, it's not necessarily even about the person that that. Um, they're going out with or, or, or regarding in, the, in that sense. Mm. I think sometimes we can sort of be, uh, we, we can make our own um, cages to, to, to live in, can't we? We can, you know, we can be, we'd be too over careful, over cautious. Um, I, I know I could do it, probably be a bit more careful with how I speak to people. <laughs> <laughs> I think everyone could. I mean, <laughs> go back to the whole critiquing the other people's countries and whatnot, though. I do find I get weirdly defensive over the UK sometimes, though, when I'm here mm. and people say bad stuff about the UK. I mean, most British people, we're very open about insulting our country. But like, I don't know, I get weirdly defensive sometimes, especially when it comes to British mm. food. I don't think British food's that bad, is it, Pete? It's not that bad. I th- well, all the stuff that c- came from elsewhere is very good. Um, our own <laughs> meat true. and potatoes, not so good. <laughs> we do have a nice mix these days. To be fair, we have just plagiarised and stolen every cuisine in the world. But <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You get, you do, maybe you do get weirdly defensive about your own culture sometimes. But uh, <laughs> generally, I just think oh, it sounds like it's good that you got out of that relationship. <laughs> yes. Keep the stories, questions, comments coming into Agony Aunt. 
Pete and Chris. Uh, we'll be back in the next few days for the next episode, guys. But for now, no matter where you might be out there in the big wide world, enjoy the rest of your week and keep an eye out for Journey Across Japan Season 3, Episode 2, coming out in the next few days. But for now, have yourself a good one. Abroad in Japan is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.